At first, when we were looking at this and we were going to investors in a previous raise, like we realized that we wanted to buy the building. That's what at first we always wanted under real estate. We feel like all of our other competitors and all the competitors before us, like we work in other arbitrage models, and that's in commercial, nonetheless, it's an arbitrage model. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today we have a two-guest episode for you. We have Nathan Bauer and Ryan Warnkin. They have been successful in real estate and entrepreneurship in their own rights, and now they've partnered together to found Travel and Live Anywhere, aka Tala. Tala is a unique short-to-medium-term rental business that is targeted at keeping landlords happy, keeping members happy, and importantly, generating cash flows for themselves and investors. It's a very interesting business model that allows their tenants, who are typically digital nomads or retirees, interestingly enough, it allows them to live and work anywhere. We go through the specifics of their business model and how it works. I asked some kind of tough pointed questions of them, and they did a great job, shared a lot of knowledge with us about how remote work is actually here to stay what the younger generations are thinking about when it comes to where they want to live and work. And we also talked a little bit about how they choose properties and markets. Very interesting conversation, very knowledgeable guys, successful before getting into this venture. And now they're just killing it with their travel and live anywhere, AKA Tala business. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guests today are Nathan Bauer and Ryan Warnkin from Tala. Let's go. Nathan and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to dive into your world in real estate and how digital nomads are changing the face of real estate in many ways. But before we dive into it, can you tell us a bit about yourselves, your backgrounds, and we'll dive into your business you're working on now? Yeah, of course. So first off, thanks so much for having us. And so, you know, I started real estate at a really young age. I started working you know, at about 16, 17, just you know, helping real estate agents, assisting real estate agents. And then I slowly kind of started my own businesses. All assisting real estate agents then got into actual brokeraging deals, you know, a couple, couple years ago. And then recently in the past year and a half, Nathan and I came up with Tala, which is this new idea of buying, looking at real estate. I think you know, there's only three options when you look at real estate. You could either buy, you could you know, buy and hold, you could rent. And so what we did was we looked at this and said, how can we can kind of make this worthwhile for people who are working remotely in this new world past COVID? And so we decided to come up with this idea of where you can kind of live in an apartment you can take anywhere, all while paying the same fixed cost. And so we're kind of super, really, really excited about this. Yeah, and my background's in real estate as well in the service sector. I've started from the age of 16 and 17. I started a real estate media and content business. So assisting agents, developers, you know, all types of brokers in creating content from photos to videography to 3D tours, drone work. And that's kind of stapled in Los Angeles right now. I have a great team with me that works on that. And then, uh, you know, on the other side of real estate as well, I'm an Airbnb host. So I host, I host luxury units in Southern California. So I have a great eye for, you know, dealing with tenants and 
how a tenant landlord relationship should be had. And I'm kind of the middleman in dealing with that. And in terms of pricing as well, I optimize pricing. So, you know, with that combined, you know, Ryan kind of came to me with the idea of Tala and, you know, we kind of clashed heads and wanted to go at it together. Awesome. So tell us a bit more about the business model and then I'll dig into some more specific questions about terms and the strategy and everything. But tell us more about Tala and, and what you're doing and how you're working with investors and, and everything. Yeah. So kind of like where we kind of went through it was we, I was currently looking to buy a place here in LA. I put in 18 offers, got stuck with nothing. It was, it was a really rough time to buy. I looked at all my friends, they were making decent money and said like, what is the strategy you guys were hybrid? What's this post COVID? What are you guys doing? They were majority of them working remotely. Nathan was looking the exact same way. So we were like, Hey, listen, let's kind of see how we can incorporate this. So we started looking at, at landlords first and seeing kind of like, what was landlords problems post COVID? Were they having issues renting? Were they having problems you know, looking for tenants? And so we realized that after this whole Airbnb arbitrage model of where people would kind of open up an LLC and then arbitrage Airbnb, throwing massive parties, damaging the units, and then also hurting <laughs> the relationships of other other tenants that were paying. Air, landlords were a little worn out of this arbitrage model. So we kind of just started asking more questions, diving deeper and seeing how we can make it work for both the member and for the for the landlord. And so then the idea is pretty much you sign a, a one-year membership agreement with us. That membership agreement is, you know, like I said, full year, and you can move from any of our first four properties that we're launching. So you can move from LA, Austin, Miami, and New York, all within one year lease, all paying the same price. So within that seat, there's you know, the rents included, there's the utilities and all the major living expenses that come with it. And we also have a unique concierge service, which is acting as sort of a perk to it within that fixed fee where we get people into very sought after restaurants or events that you wouldn't be able to get into typically to the yeah. to the public good. Something you wouldn't be able to book on open table or resi or something like that. We have genuine relationships with managers and reservationists just to elevate the living experience we're providing. Cool, great. So a bit earlier, and we're going to be talking about this term of, of digital nomads. And I feel that term has has changed over time. It was kind of common when I was a much younger man in my early 20s. Now I'm in my mid 30s. It meant something else at the time, kind of four hour work week, start an online business. But now with COVID and everything, it's shifted to more remote work. Can you kind of clarify that for us and tell us more about who your target tenant, you used a different term, but who your target tenant is for this type of a, a strategy. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, we look at like Google engineers is a great one. A majority of these big tech companies are looking at their office spaces and realizing that there's a way of benefit to letting, allowing their employees to work from home. So we just kind of are looking at that as, as, as probably an ideal customer. We then look at like post COVID, we've seen a boom in entrepreneurship kind of go throughout and we've seen less and less people look at WeWork and Regis and some of these other, you know, co-working spaces and they see, hey, we can actually just work these jobs from home. So what we're trying to do is kind of make home your home office and then kind of give you the ability to move anywhere. So I think in the world of post-COVID, there's just so many people and now it's become a norm to just work remotely. And I think you know, we can capitalize on that. Interesting. Okay. So I mean, you mentioned a few cities where your properties that you have now are. They sounded like higher end, more expensive cities is probably where this model is most viable. But tell us more about the city selection and then also the property selection because they're probably pretty expensive, have particular features. 
let's dig into that. Yeah. So, you know, when we were looking at this, we were, we sent out a survey. We kind of reached out to a bunch of our, again, colleagues, friends who are working remotely, reached out to them and sent out a survey of pretty much where are the four cities that you guys would love to live in. We got a big feedback of a bunch of places that we were looking at and we kind of honed in on, again, this, the four cities were, were, were circling. When we then went to the landlords of those cities, that's where I think the challenging process started coming through as where we kind of approached them. They were again, a little worn out from the previous Airbnb arbitrage and then trying to convince those landlords to secure these leases in, in a proper way. So that, that's kind of how we, we went about it. Then once we, we found the, the landlords who are willing or property managers who are willing to kind of do a service like this, then we were kind of seeing if the, if the building and, and the actual unit itself is a, is a good fit, just because again, we are looking for an elevated lifestyle. So the units are a little bit nicer. We kind of put our own touch on that as well. So, you know, it was first approach the city that approached landlord and then now kind of just approach the unit. Interesting. Okay. So are there any key features that really stuck out when you approach those folks and, and asked what they would look for that we could, you know, dig into or just mention that are like kind of non-negotiable things in the properties that you have to have? Yeah. They're looking for, you know, member, members themselves, as we call them, are looking for a seamless experience. So if we were able to provide this furnished unit where everything's taken care of, all the expenses, and there's this on-call concierge, personal concierge service where they can plan out your entire week or weekend if you want to go out at night or go to a private dining experience. We can coordinate everything for them. So having a seamless opportunity while living in different cities throughout the year, we think would resonate with the members the most. Okay. Is there any kind of minimum stay period for the members? Because short-term rentals versus medium-term rentals, then you start getting into different local regulatory differences and everything like that. Some are more amenable to a medium-term, 30 days or more. You're nodding your heads. I, you know, I know you know the answer yeah. to this one. So we're a minimum stay of one month. That's over 30 days to avoid the short-term rental ordinances and laws that may come with the cities we're in. And the ma- maximum stay is six months. So let's say, you know, you wanted to come and live with us and apply as a member. It would be, you know, I, hey, I would like to live in LA for six months. That's kind of my home base. Then I'm going to go out and do Miami for two, Austin for two, and then New York for two months. If you apply with us and we have the vacancies, we'll accept you based on those vacancies. If not, you'll be pushed back on the wait list. But, you know, ideally at scale, we're not going to have too much, too many problems with the, you know, potential vacancy that we'll have. Interesting. How do you handle screening of the members up front? Yeah, so again, I want to touch back on the actual short term as well. I think that was a really fun process for us just because when we were looking at like how we can make this work, I think like we started reaching out to city halls. We started reaching out to, especially here, we're located in Los Angeles. We were kind of reaching out to some stricter cities where there's smaller cities like Santa Monica, for instance, where I just a really strict, you know, Airbnb law where they just obliterated and banned almost every Airbnb that doesn't do, you know, medium term, as you said, over 30 days. So pretty much what they've done is they've banned all furnished Airbnbs. So you can have an unfurnished Airbnb. So just pretty much you, there's no way of going around it unless you do 30 days in, in that city, which is just a really interesting thing. And I think we were just really kind of, we, we were going to be exploring this. It just was really interesting in, in how these cities kind of approach Airbnb and how they approach you know, short-term rentals as a whole. You know, I think for us, our members are, you know, they're looking for that elevated lifestyle. And so for us, I think what we're trying to accomplish here is give them a unit that they can walk into that's 
super, you know, that's different from just a standard Airbnb where you can kind of go into an Airbnb. It's it's kind of like a rundown bed. It's kind of a rundown couch. You know, it's, it's not that same experience. We're trying to create an experience where it's like kind of lovely throughout the entire apartment and you feel like you're just in a, an elevated experience. You feel like you're at home at the same time. So is there a screening process because if you go to sign a lease they're generally going to have you a minimum income or depending where you are they're going to be different different requirements and you know legislative and all of that but say if you go to a a hotel they're not screening you at all as long as your credit card clears and you're fine you know you can you can come in and this is kind of in that middle ground are you doing any screening of the the members to make sure they have added adequate income we are yeah so when they apply to us they apply to us as a normal apartment you know you show pay stubs show you know monthly bank statements in certain cases as well as background checks you know we also look at like kind of the individual are they going to fit in with the rest of our community that we've already accepted into the program and then we also look at what their itinerary is for that year so when they submit to us, they pretty much submit an itinerary for the entire year of where they want to be per month. And then what you know, we're doing at the currently is we're kind of offering an option where members can switch if, for instance, they need an emergency situation where they need to be in a different city. But right now we're kind of offering a program where they just kind of submit their itinerary and they live in threat bad for the full year. So they're locked into this one-year lease. It's structured, but it's also flexible. So, you know, we want to make this flexible experience where you're going city to city, but it is structured. So you're living with us for hundred percent of the year, unlike a short-term rental where you're in one week and you're out the next week or in one night and out, you know, the next night. So we want to have structure and this, you know, ultimately we'll talk about it later, will help with you know, our, our revenue model as well, having these people live with us for the entire year. Great, great. Okay. And you guys have mentioned scaling a few times and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Have you had anything like a, have you had to do an eviction or would you even call it an eviction? Have you had, you know, a, a squatter? I hear they're a lot more common in California than other states. Have you really had those speed bumps that kind of we all experience in real estate? Yeah. So, you know, that was another thing that was really, I think, really interesting is when we were looking at this is we were trying to see how we can avoid those things. I feel like every landlord, every real estate, you know, man, manager in every case wants to prevent the squatting right of every, you know, wants to prevent squatting in any case. And for us, I think when we spoke to our lawyers, we decided kind of how we can approach the actual lease agreement. So the way we get around this is just by offering a membership agreement. We also have a digital key that unlocks and locks the lock via you know, X amount of time. So it pretty much gives them access for 30 days. And if they're there for you know, 31 days, they have no longer access to that unit. And so our membership group kind of revokes the squatting rights in the agreement. That's something that kind of we thought of, but even before we were actually even thinking about the members, we thought of like how we can how we can avoid that. Just because you know, we don't have that many units available. If someone squats, it removes kind of that one city or the two cities from the entire service that we're providing. So just that was like really important just even before we started looking for members. Yeah, definitely. You want to avoid it's it's tough when you have a tenant that's not paying and yeah, you can lose out on on quite a lot of revenue. So, I'm I'm very interested in these conversations that you had with property owners, talking them or, or kind of getting them from the Airbnb arbitrage model into your model and what was different, what were their objections and you know, what kind of what worked for you in that vein and what also didn't work in those conversations? So at first, again, it was really challenging, you know, 
I deal with landlords on a day-to-day basis. See, I, I do, I brokerage a lot of th- see it, sales here in LA. So I deal with landlords just on a day-to-day basis. So I, at first I started just kind of picking their brains on, you know, when they're buying a property, when they're looking to start doing another, you know, rental project, whether they were doing Airbnb or they were doing, you know, renting out to a tenant for a long term. I started just picking their brains of kind of the problems that they face and the, the kind of headaches they receive on a day-to-day basis. You know, is that, you know, one of the tenants is throwing a party and then your older tenant or a person who's a person who's been there for let's say two to three years is not wanting that sort of noise. That was a big thing. So we're like, okay, how can we limit the factor of, of someone coming here who is here for say two to three months, but it's going to cause disruption to the other tenants in the building. So we're kind of like, how can we kind of fix these problems. And the way we looked at it is, is we went to the landlord and said, hey, listen, we're providing a service. We plan to have X amount of people at most come in and out of the unit. This is how this is how many people will come out throughout the entire year. This is exactly what this looks like. And uh, some of them were a little hesitant at first. And then we also said that like, this is how much these people are paying and they're paying a decent price above what your Airbnb arbitrage was. They're, you know, it's a higher paying tenant than you were getting before. And so slowly but surely after after many conversations, we kind of got a, a decent amount of landlords on board. Okay. Okay. So it, it took some time, but you can oh, wow. eventually them. work them to that point. Now I can kind of hear some of our listeners out there thinking about, Hey, you know, COVID was bad, but it's pretty much over, right? It's we're well past it now. And along with that is remote work over. Is that going to subside or, or backslide in any way? What do you think about that? And and I hate to sound like an old man in this way, but I'm a I'm a millennial. I think you guys are probably Gen Z. Is this like what Gen Z wants? Is this kind of here to stay or was it kind of flash in the pan? Remote work's going away. We're all going back to the office. So we feel that remote work is here to stay. You know, we, we, there's definitely some employers who see like JP Morgan Chase told their managers the other day that they expect, you know, five days or four days of work week in person. A Forbes article came out not too long ago saying that 25% of the workforce will be remote by the end of this year. And, and they, they believe that this number is not to say Spotify offered 6,800 of its employees to work remotely and their retention rate stayed you know very, very high. And so we, we kind of see if you look at certain applicants, you know, people are willing to take pay cuts just to stay remotely because they don't want to deal with the hassle of coming to the office every day with, with transportation costs and other costs in that sense. So, you know, we, we feel that it's, it's here to stay for sure. Yeah, I would tend to agree. We we may see a a bit of a slowdown, but I think in the in the long span of history, it, it's here to stay. And and again, the kids these days are going to come to expect that, especially the the high paid tech workers. So we've touched on scaling a little bit, and you guys seem really excited to scale your business. And I know that's a big you know California tech business thing. We're always talking about scaling and you know exit and all of that. But what do you have in mind to continue to scale and, and get more properties, get more members? What's most important? All that. That's funny you say uh, that. You know, scaling is like what the California. <laughs> you know, hey, I want to scale too, but it's a big tech. I, yeah, I, agree. Right? I agree with that. But this is what we're trying to create here is an exclusive membership club as well within the living experience. So we're not shooting for you know thousands of members, you know, thousands of members in year three. You know, we're looking at eighty-four units in year five. We're trying to keep it intimate. We want to have. We want people to yearn to be into the in this club, and they, we we don't want to have them, you know, just randomly just apply. They're going to have to work for it, and there's going to be a heavy vetting process. And you know, it's going to be a, a core member who that can bring value to the community as well, not just living in the unit. Mm, interesting. So scaling, we have to have customers, right? But we also have to have capital 
to grow. How do you see, I mean, short-term rental or medium-term rental business tends to be higher cash flow, but significantly lower equity than many other real estate investing strategies. And that cash flow can fuel your growth and everything. Do you see that fueling your, your growth and adding on properties and getting more properties on board? Or what do you see on that end? Yeah. So I think for us, you know, at first when we were looking at this and we were going to investors in a previous raise, like we realized that we wanted to buy the buildings. That's what at first we always wanted to own a real estate. We feel like all of our other competitors and all the competitors before us, like we work in other arbitrage models, you know, even that's in commercial, nonetheless, it's an arbitrage model. We work is not a great example to pull we up. <laughs> we work, there's failures because they didn't own the buildings. They were renting and they were, you know, over leveraged in many cases. And then when, you know, because they had no structure, they're leases, you know, in a catastrophic event like COVID, they lost all of their their customers and they went away. And so we were like, when we first saw the idea, we were like, let's go and, and, and buy these buildings. And so we went to all these funds, all these VC funds out here in California and just got flat out rejected of just like, listen, you're, you're, you're too young to like want this much cash for you know, a risky investment at the time, just because at COVID, we were really unsearched, unsure of where the market was headed. And so we're like, listen, we really do not want to, we don't believe, you know, we should give this amount of cash to 24 year olds. We should, we should look at this thing in a different way. And so when we, we pivoted, brought in a couple more team members and, and then went to the arbitrage model. And so for us, you know, at scale, like you said, we, you know, we plan to continue growing this thing and offer different features to members where, you know, instead of like a solo house where you go into a clubhouse, you know, the clubhouse is the city limits in which every city, every city we're located in. So, you know, every restaurant that we can provide features to private events, different stuff like that, where we can constantly create this great community here in every city that we're located in. Great. So in this business, I see you have, you have basically two, two things that you need, right? You need properties to lease out and you need members to pay you to live in them. I'm kind of inferring that the the bottleneck at this point, and and there's always a bottleneck. It doesn't. It's just a fact of business. There's one or the other. It's the members that's the bottleneck. It's less the properties. I would presume landlords and everybody sees the opportunity there, but getting the members is really what you want to dial up. Am I right or am I? Yes. So we've you know we have a wait list at the moment, and that you know that's kind of the way to keep people engaged and keep the demand going is holding them off on the wait list. So like once they are accepted, they really feel like they are accepted into a new lifestyle that they can experience for that entire year. So we, we continue to keep the demand with the wait list and offer some perks to the lifestyle that we have. So let's say, you know, some of the wait listees that we really want to have, but we don't have the vacancies for, we, you know, we could send them out to a restaurant one night or we can invite them to one of our private events and just keep them engaged and, you know, wanting to be in this experience while they wait. Yeah, it's a clarify. Nathan's talking about every waitlistee that's currently on our waitlist gets access to our concierge service that books kind of all the reservations for for them. So that's kind of what some of our, our waitlistees have been doing currently. Interesting. So you have waitlistees for, for, as potential members, but presumably if you had a, a unit to put them in, you'd put them in it. So is it is it the units that are the, the limiting factor since you have a, a wait list of members, which is great. It's great to have the, the wait list of members. Yeah, we're, we're trying just our hardest to make sure we keep our quality control on while we mm-hmm. bring out units. So I think for us, sure. it's convincing the landlord first and then bringing out the units later. And so for us, we're just slowly trying to bring that while keeping the quality control and testing our management tools. Awesome. Yeah, you don't want to get you don't want to get over top of your out in front of your skis and, you know, lose your especially a really impact your brand. Great. Very cool business. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, guys, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Let's dive right in. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best investment I've made is, it's hard because education was great for me. I think the best investment I made was going out at the age of 16 and marketing myself as someone who has a skill. And that was photography and videography at the time. And I was able to take that and go into real estate media and content. So I utilized the photography and videography. And when I went out to you know go and find clients who would hire me to shoot their listings or their developments or whatever it is. So investing my time in a small business from a young age has really paid off. You know, I, I continue it now. I have a team with me of three to four people who are on rotation, always doing shoots. So I think that's probably been one of the best investments for my time. Awesome. Mine would be, so 2021, I actually bought a house here in LA. I was really nervous because I was thinking, I heard from everybody that the house was going to lose value. It's going to do all these things. And the first time home buyer, very nervous, you know, in this, in the market, because again, prices were so elevated at the time. Luckily, I just got my house appraised and I saw like a 20% increase on just when I purchased it. So that's probably been my best investment other than, other than my businesses yet. So it sounds like you're not seeing a big softening in the LA real estate market. I'd say that there's, there's a softening of buyers, but there's, the demand is still so high out here that even like we take a 50% softening, it's still there's still such a, a large demand and, and so little homes in the market. Fair enough. Well, we have the best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Okay, so mine actually is with Tala. We invested in a influencer activation where we spent oh. a decent amount of cash on an influencer and it was an epic failure it just didn't work out you know a lot of it a lot of understanding you know different market that we never got into i think we kind of went over our skis for the first time where we kind of went above and beyond trying to do something that we would never done before didn't understand what we were getting ourselves into and then just kind of it, it, it kind of it didn't blow up in our face. It just would, didn't. It did nothing. So it was. It was, a, it was just. A for us. Uh, I backed that. That's yeah. uh, probably one of the worst. It, it was just not a good move. That's fair, and you know we all make those types of mistakes. And if you can mitigate them and not have a big impact, then learn and move on. Then then that's the way it goes. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think relationships. Relationships with business partners and the team that you surround yourself with, you know, with Ryan and I, and, you know, we have three other team members who are full time. You know, it's not just the work, work and go home. We actually, you know, get together every week or every few weeks and, uh, you know, just talk about other stuff, not the business. So I think that's probably one of the best things that we have going. 
For me, it's definitely been two ears, one mouth has been a, the best thing I could have probably get advice from just because I'm myself a very passionate person. I get really excited on projects. I get really pumped on things and I can come off extremely you know, aggressive when I'm talking about something. And so when I get into a room, I feel like I want to just kind of explore and talk about everything I'm kind of diving myself into. And for me, it's always it's always been better when I've like listened first, understood the other people's problems and then see if I can kind of incorporate that into what I'm focusing myself on. Very cool. Well, thank you guys both for for joining us today and sharing your business model, what you're up to and everything you've accomplished so far. If folks want to reach out, if they want to track you down, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, get involved, whatever, where can they find you? So we're Travel Live Anywhere, pretty much everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere, and then TravelLiveAnywhere.com. Awesome. Well, thank you guys once again for joining us today. To our listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday right now. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.